Amen. I love that Isaiah talks about the banquet, that whatever comes next is going to be a party. Um, unfortunately, we have a little bit of things to do between now and then, and that's what we're going to talk about. Um, our second scripture reading, our New Testament reading, is taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 4. And uh, we'll be reading the first nine verses of Philippians chapter 4. And so Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, um, tonight we're in Philippians chapter 4, and in in case you haven't been joining us or you haven't been with us for a little while, uh, we're going through what's called the lectionary. And if you don't come from a church that does this, basically what this is, is this is scriptures that go through the bulk of the whole Bible every three years, and churches around the world preach on the same thing every Sunday. And so it's not that I'm just sort of randomly hopping around the book of Philippians, uh, but actually churches around the world are doing this. Just last week, my sister was saying on our family chat that their Anglican church in Virginia in the United States preached on the same text and how great it is to be united with the church worldwide. And so tonight, the church worldwide wrestles with these questions that Paul brings up. What is true? What is noble? What is right? What is pure? What is lovely? What is admirable? What is excellent? and praiseworthy. The Apostle Paul says, whatever those things are, think about those things. Okay, how do we do that? Because we want to get to the banquet, right? We want to get to the place, (laughs) I love Isaiah's wording, with great wine and great meat. If you're a vegetarian, great vegetables, okay? Uh, But we want to get to the banquet, all right? How do we get there? Um, How do we get there? I think this text gives us good insight. Paul tells the church in Philippi to stand firm. Stand firm. Hang in there. If you've read about the church in Philippi, there was a ton of persecution. Actually, Philippi was a city where a lot of Romans actually, history tells us that a lot of Romans actually retired there. It was almost like a retirement community. And, and, and this new church that was growing up of all these foreigners and people from around the world were very much looked down upon because it seemed like they were in opposition to Rome. And there was lots and lots of persecution. And so he's telling the church first, hey, you need to hang in there. As he begins to wrap up this letter, he says, stand firm. 
My brothers and sisters, we're a family. And we'll get through this, even though I am not with you at this time. Paul, of course, understands their suffering being in prison in another place, as he writes this. And so he tells them, hang in there. And then he continues to these two women, Euodia and, and, and Syntyche, I think is how you say those names. Um, he says, listen, to my two sisters there, I pray that you guys would be in the same mind in the Lord, that you would be unified. Now, these women in the church are obviously known to the church. We don't know who they are. But he asked them to be of one mind in the Lord. You know, maybe they're arguing about something. Maybe there's some quarrel, some disagreement happening. Maybe it's a theological difference. Who knows? Doesn't tell us. Maybe he just wants them to be unified. Maybe they're leaders or maybe they're involved in ministry together and, and they're just not doing the best they can. And he just says, hey, be unified. Be of the same mind in the Lord. And it's interesting, actually, um, that Paul mentions two female workers in the church in Philippi. Um, I talked a lot about this this morning, actually, uh, in the morning service with um, the passage on Romans 16, 1 and 2 with Phoebe, the deacon or servant or minister. But it's interesting that these women are mentioned without names of their husbands. In, in, in the New Testament, in this time, often it was you know, husband and wife, husband and wife, husband and wife. But these two women are mentioned without husbands. Um, and odds are they were probably single women involved in ministry in the church there. And they were involved enough or known enough to where Paul said, hey, you two, you need to be on the same page, whatever was going on. And these women are women that Paul knew, women that Paul probably had done ministry with. And he says, listen, we need as a church to come around these people, whatever the issue was, to come around these people and lift these people up because something's going on. And as we see that at just after this, he begins talking about peace. That if we want to have peace, if we want to know what is admirable, what is good, what we should be striving for, then we, we need to reconcile where there is unrest. That we need to do our best to achieve peace when there is any sort of strife. Here, he mentions two people who need help. And he mentions them along with this, this man, Clement, presumably the peacemaker or someone who was known for bringing peace, and says, listen, you guys, verse 3, you have all contended at my side because of the gospel. We have done these things together. So let us not forget that we need to be in the same mind of the Lord. He calls them his co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. We work together in this, and when there is strife, whether it's with us or two people we know, we need to desire peace. And as I said, I mentioned this this morning. Um, this is just, I mean, we can talk about this if you have questions, but just another example as an aside in Scripture, of, of some people have an issue with Paul's, um, how do I put this? Um, some people think that because of two passages in the Bible, that the Apostle Paul has a problem with women. Well, I would actually argue that the Apostle Paul did a ton of ministry working alongside women and thought very highly of them. And, and, and it's clear as I read this and look at the cause and, and that these are the only real people he mentions along with this guy, Clement, that these women were known. They might have even, I think, probably were serving in some leadership capacity. And he wanted the church to come around them so that this, leader, this issue, whatever was going on, did not divide the church. But he was saying, listen, you can rely on one another and you can rely on all of us together to come around and to solve whatever is happening. Because we are co-workers and we are co-laborers. And so as we are able, we lift 
one another up in the name of Jesus Christ. We need help. See, church, how many of us forget that we actually need help? That sometimes we need other people to come around and lift us up. I'm going to pick on Matt just real quick. Just before the service, I was praying for our leadership team, and Matt stops and says, let's also pray for Sam. And I'm just sitting there thinking, gosh, this is so nice. Like, we need each other. We rely on each other, don't we? I mean, how many of us rely on the people in this room for one thing or another? I mean, just look around this room for companionship, for friends, for, for fellowship. We worship with one another. Uh, many of us are in Bible studies together. We go through scripture together. We do all of these things together. We rely on one another. I, don't, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but after six months of not being face-to-face, coming back here on Sunday nights has been such nourishment to my soul. We rely on one another, and that's okay. And so Paul continues then in verse 4 or 5 to explain why this peace is so important, I think. So that we can rejoice. I will say it again, Paul says in verse 5, or verse 4, rejoice. Find a way to work out the differences among us so that we can be joyful, that we can celebrate, that we can be charitable, that we can be loving, that we can be gentle, as he says in verse 5. Why? Because God is near us, because God is with us, because God is fellowshipping with us. Paul's not saying, hey, work it out because you have to live together. Paul's saying, work it out because you get to live together. This is a blessing. Having a building like this is a blessing to come together and to worship together freely. Do you know how many people in the world right now on a Sunday, on a Saturday, whenever they worship, do not have this gift or have been locked down and still cannot come together and worship or live in a country where it's illegal to worship the name of Jesus Christ? There are millions of brothers and sisters around the world who do not have this gift. We don't have to be peaceful. We get to be peaceful. So let your gentleness be evident. And we don't need to be anxious. Verse 6, we, we don't need to worry. We need to pray. Right? We talked about this with the famous passage about anxiety in the Sermon on the Mount weeks ago. But just as a wonderful reminder, he says, listen, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And this is amazing, verse 7. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. It doesn't make sense to us, right? You can try your best to figure it out and define it and put it in a box, but good luck with that. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, peace in the Lord is not just relaxing. (laughs) It's not just putting your feet up on a weekend on a Saturday and feeling relaxed and refreshed. The peace of the Lord actually protects us. It protects our heart and our mind from the things of this world that would seek to divide us, that would seek to hurt us, that would seek to bring darkness. And as we just sang in that song, the peace of the Lord causes us to dance in the darkness. And someone would say, why are you dancing? It's dark. It's scary outside. And we say, I don't know. Transcends all understanding. But I feel the peace of the Lord. Who among us could use a little bit more protection? 
who among us can use a little bit more protection of our hearts and our minds when we think about going out into the world and facing what's before us? And, and, and the amazing thing about this is it's just not for you and for me, but it's for all of us. It's for anyone who would call out on the name of the Lord. Don't, don't just think about yourself, but expand it. How many of you, when you think about the world, I mentioned Christians who, who don't have freedom of worship. Just think about people around the world who are scared, who are marginalized, who are hurting, who do not have their hearts and minds protected. Those who are fighting, those who are in conflict. What could the peace of the Lord mean to those people as well? With all of these things in mind, just talking about unity and the peace of the Lord and all of these good things and rejoicing, verse 8 makes a lot more sense to me. So, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about these things. Focus on these things. So church, what's the answer? What are those things to you? What is God teaching you? What is God teaching you about those things and what is right for you and in your life? I want to lift, I want to I bring up two things to me that I thought about. Two things to me that I thought about when I asked myself these questions. What is true? What is noble? What is right? Etc. The first one is that we need to lift each other up in the church. Within the walls of this church, we do not do a good enough job at encouraging and lifting one another up. We just sort of assume that we're all going to do it, that we're all on our own mission, our own ministry, doing our own thing. No, we need to be actively involved in ministry together, sharing each other's burdens, seeking to help people who are in strife like these two women, and build everyone up. I'm talking about men and women. I'm talking about gender issues. I'm talking about ethnicity issues. I'm talking about nationality issues. With every single person in the church, so far as we are able, we need to be lifting each other up. And the second thing is that we need to learn what it really means to pray for peace, not just for rest, but that our hearts and our minds would be protected from evil and darkness. Because once we understand what it means to pray for those things, then we can also do those things for our neighbors. And then, as Paul said in verse 9, we can understand what it means to tell people like these folks, whatever you've learned from me, whatever you've received from me, whatever you've seen me do, go and do that. Right? <laughs> One of the things we say all the time, it's what it means to be a Christian, is we should be able to say, follow me. You want to know what it means to be a Christian? Follow me around for a week and you'll see. That's what we should all be able to say. So, what have we seen? What have we seen in the Apostle Paul? What can we learn from this? How do we do this? You know, there's a little bit of background on the Apostle Paul. Um, some of you are familiar. Some of you may not be familiar with this guy, Paul, and what I'm talking about. Um, Paul is encouraging this because Paul knows what it means to be divided. Paul is encouraging peace because Paul is very aware of what it meant to be divided and, 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 and arguing and even fighting. We know he was a gifted teacher and a preacher, a theologian. We definitely know that he was not afraid or ashamed of the gospel. In fact, the New Testament tells us that he was willing to be mocked, he was willing to be beaten, he was willing to be thrown out of town, he was willing to be imprisoned. He was even willing to die for the sake that others would know this peace. In fact, one time they threw him out of town and stoned him thinking he was dead and left him there to die, but he wasn't. 
What's amazing about Paul is that he did this not just for people like him. He did this not just for people who looked like him, but people that were different than him, those who did not know Jesus, those whose society did not want to lift up. Paul went and said, yo, I'm going to tell you about Jesus, and I'm going to lift you up to this peace I have found. Remember, we talked about this last week. Paul was a Roman citizen. And it's not like now when everyone was a citizen. No, you had to be of a certain societal level to be a citizen and have the rights of a citizen. He did not need to associate with slaves. He did not need to associate with the lowly of society. He had every right and privilege, just like you and I do. I mean, we are living in the, 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 <laughs> the first class section of the first world here in Switzerland. We have every privilege and every right just like Paul did. And what did Paul say? We talked about this last week in chapter 3, right? I have every right to be proud and to boast. But he said, I consider it garbage in the light of knowing Christ. And we know that the, the Apostle Paul lived these things out. And so when we look at our lives, are we doing the same? Are we living out the privilege and the rights and the blessings we've been given that other people would know the peace of Jesus Christ that transcends all understanding? So that we can lift up one another so that we can find peace for other people so that we can pray for those who need protection of their hearts and minds because they are living in an unsafe world let me ask you again what is true when you look at your life what is noble and right what is pure what is lovely what is excellent and praiseworthy and sometimes it's hard to see honestly sometimes it's really hard to see there's so much going on in life, it's really hard to figure out. And you look at the Apostle Paul and you think, this, this is what I thought when I was reading through this, I was like, it's not really fair. Paul had a very unfair advantage. If you don't know Paul's story, he actually spoke with Jesus. Okay, he had an audible conversation with Jesus and Jesus told him very clearly what he was to do. It's not really fair. In Acts 26, uh, let me just read you it. it it's Acts 26, you want to read it later, verses 12 and following. He's giving his testimony before a governor in the area, and he says this. He's recounting his conversion. And he says, on one of these journeys to persecute Christians, <laughs> to try and kill them, uh, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. Verse 13, and about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So this is what Paul was told. And by the way, it's a great story. If you go on to read it, Paul then goes on and tries to convert the governor. <laughs> He's like, what, are you trying to convert me too? And Paul's like, yeah, why not? You know, it's great. Acts 26, go read it. But, but this is amazing. No wonder Paul could say confidently that he, we need to focus on what is good and pray and seek out peace. He had been spoken to by the living God and told what his mission was. How many of you have had an audible conversation with Jesus where Jesus is like, here's what you need to do. This, 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 go. For most of us, it's a lot more confusing. 
a lot more difficult. We wonder, am I supposed to do this or am I supposed to do this? Should I take this job or this job? Should I move here or move there? Should I be with this person or this person? What has God told you? What has God revealed to you? I'm going to challenge you a little bit. If you haven't or you don't have an answer, let me challenge you. When was the last time you stopped and asked the question? When was the last time in prayer you spent time asking God what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable? God, what should I think about? Or maybe you've asked the question, but there's still no answer. Maybe we need to keep asking the question every single day. I mean, think about what our lives would look like if every morning we woke up and said, God, show me what is true today. Show me what is noble. Show me what is right. Show me what is pure. Show me what is lovely. Show me what is admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. That my day today would praise you. Wouldn't that be a great prayer to start the day? For some of us, we just haven't slowed down. For some of us, we're so busy in our life going, 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 we just don't slow down and ask God the question. For some of us, we don't ask the question because we're afraid of the answer. You can be honest. I don't want God to call me away from my plan. I want to do what I want to do. <laughs> well, I'm just not going to ask, right? <laughs> Better to ask for permi- forgiveness than permission. You know, honestly, when I look at this passage, even as a pastor, sometimes I think, man, do I really know what this means? Do I really understand what this means? You know what, church? Sometimes. (laughs) Maybe this isn't you. Maybe this is just me. This is going to be a glimpse into my heart, and, and please don't think less of me. Sometimes in my pride, I think of my will and what I want, and I just think, well, that surely has to be God's will. Right? I'm such a good person. I, 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 got it. I have most of it figured out. So surely my will is God's will. And I think I know, but I really just want God to agree with me. I think I know what's best. And so I just hope that God doesn't say anything. Right? And I hope that God doesn't like magically stop me with a lightning bolt from the sky and, and, and do some miraculous sign. I just sort of kind of go through and kind of wince, hoping he doesn't stop me. And then we just tell ourselves, well, surely this is God's will. God didn't stop me. And it turned out okay. Great. Um, I'm going to teach you something that I am learning and have learned and continue to learn. That is not hearing from God. That is us trying to convince ourselves that God's voice is, sounds a lot like our voice. And, and then what's funny about this is we try to rejoice. We try to rejoice the way Paul is talking about, like, yay, God's will worked out. Yay, God's will is so perfect. But, but we're not rejoicing in God. We're actually rejoicing in our circumstances and the things we have made in our lives. And then <laughs> what happens is, those circumstances fall apart and things don't go our way or something we have put our trust in, it does not work out. And then we try to blame God. Like, but God, I thought this was your will. No, 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 no. The whole time, it wasn't God's will. It was you just not asking God the question. We wonder what happened. We're not gentle. We're not praising God. We're hurting. And we look at God and say, God, why? And God's saying, did you ever even ask me this question? Did you take the time to discern what was right, what was true, what was lovely? Church, are you asking God not for your own understanding, but for his understanding? 
Are you asking God for true peace or for what your understanding of peace is? Just to share a little bit more about myself as an American right now, this is what people in my home country are dealing with with the election. People think they want some form of peace, but really they just want power, which is idolatry. People think they know the way to peace, but really what they want is for their preference, their power to be put into power and, th and to make a false idol out of something that is not the peace of God. Christians are making idols. We do this all the time, by the way. We make idols out of things that are our desire and not God's desire. And then we tell other people, this is what God wants. And really, it's our own idol that we have built and we have made. And just as a heads up, in case you forgot, number one commandment, kind of a big one. Worship other gods. Don't bow down to other idols. The peace of the Lord that Paul is talking about here, church, does not come from you or I, but from him, from the power of Christ Jesus, from the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, from us living in submission to his will and asking the question, what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely? And only when we ask these questions can we actually know how to solve conflict, how to lift one another up, how to pray for one another and find this peace that protects us from the evil of this world. True peace of the Lord lifts others up and protects them as we have been protected. True peace guards the hearts and minds of the people we care about most in this world, the people we rely on. It seeks justice for the oppressed. It seeks peace in the midst of conflict. It's love to combat the hate we see all around this world. Church, peace is not from you and your desires. Even if you desire peace, that is fine. Make sure you do it through the Lord and through the power of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. Because our version of peace will lead us to idolatry if we are not regularly going to Jesus and asking him what we should do, how we should act, and what is excellent. By the way, that word excellent is great. It's at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when Paul says, I will show you the most excellent way to live. And then he goes on to the whole thing about love that we always hear, right? Love is patient, love is kind, all that stuff. Paul uses that same word and says it's the most excellent way to live. Church, we do not ask God for what we want. When I was a kid, I remember when I became a Christian I, as a teenager, and all teenagers do this, right? We pray for the most selfish things. I said, oh God, let this girl say yes to me to the dance. God, give me a Ferrari for my 16th birthday. And, and God's just sitting there saying, well, I guess I'm just glad you're talking to me. Church, peace from God is not asking for what you want. It's okay to have desires. Peace from God is asking God, God, show me what is true. Show me what is noble and right. Show me what is pure and lovely. Show me what is admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. And then, and this is the hard part, listening to God's voice. Listen to what he says. And don't assume it's always what you thought it was. In my experience, when you ask God serious questions, sometimes, sometimes we don't want to know the answer, and it's really hard. And for the Apostle Paul, that meant giving up your Roman citizenship, 
That meant being mocked by your Hebrew ancestry and your Roman friends. That meant associating with the lowly. That meant coming around women in this passage here, who, by the way, women not super respected in the first century. And Paul's like, no, we need to lift them up. We need to make sure that they are in the same mind in the Lord so that they can continue co-laboring with me in the gospel. It meant doing something that the world thought was absolutely backwards. And that's how he lived his life. Because he had the guts to ask God, what's praiseworthy? And how do I live like that? And so church, my hope and prayer for you and I is that we would pray this prayer. That we would ask God, what does it actually take to lift one another up? What is actually worthy of praise? And I believe God will reveal it to us. Would you pray with me? Father God, sometimes I have no idea why you use us. But yet here we see an avenue to learn. Here we see an avenue to hear from you what is good, what is praiseworthy, what is noble, admirable, and all the rest. And so, God, I pray that we would listen, that we would have courage to pray, to discern our own desires from yours, that we would have the courage to lift those up who are different than us, that we would be bold in our faith to do things other people think are foolish. Father, we ask this question because we want to know the answer. Lord, teach us what that means. And we pray this in Christ's name.